Serena of the Londoner with a passion for supporting locally owned restaurants. As a vegetarian, she focuses on vegetarian and vegan friendly spots. On Instagram at Serena Likes Food, she shares her restaurant recommendations along with vegetarian and vegan recipes. So I'd like to start by talking a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in, well, bit contentious for anyone that lives in the London M25 area. I would classify myself as growing up in London, depending on who you ask, it'll be Surrey. Surrey is one of the like neighbouring counties to London. So you have London, London, you have Greater London, and then you have kind of Surrey, Kent, Essex, etc. that border it. Um, so I was technically like one road into Surrey. So if you're the road over Greater London, you could vote in the London mayor elections, etc. I was like one road over into the Surrey line. So I'd always classify myself as growing up in London because it was 20 minutes for me to get into central London. If I'm talking Guildford, which is like what I would consider the capital of, of Surrey, and that was like 45 minutes. So I would always classify myself as growing up in London, but I will admit that that is a potentially uh, contentious point of view because I was zone five for any listeners in the UK. I guess I would describe that as the London suburbs. So close to central, but very much a residential area, kind of small towns clustered with the classic chain shops and chain cafes and a few sort of family restaurants. So definitely not kind of the big smoke or London proper. Did you spend a lot of time in London when you were growing up? Yes, and it's definitely something I notice as being different to, say, family members that grew up in the more rural parts of England. I think there's a very different culture as to what you do in your spare time as a teenager. Probably realistically a lot more alcohol if you grow up in a rural area. Whereas when you're so close to London and also cities like Brighton, as soon as you get past a certain age, it was a very classic thing to go kind of Oxford Street. We'd all get the train up to Victoria, walk to Oxford Street. We'd have like 20 quid. So we'd just go up and down and maybe go into Forever 21 and buy like a T-shirt. And that would be our big day out. And then you go home and show your parents your T-shirt. Uh, and then as I got older, pubs and stuff, again, mostly London. Guildford was like a posh day out. That was like if you were going with your mum and you wanted her to buy you something nice, <laughs> you'd be like, should we go to Guildford for the day? But as a friend, London. Was it always your goal then when you grew up to live in London? It's a difficult one, to be honest. I'd love to live up north, much cheaper. Some really beautiful cities up in the north of England. Sheffield's probably one of my favourite cities in the UK. Also lovely. I would also love Bristol. I think for me, it's a classic thing of all my friends and family are down south so if I moved north I'd be very far away from anyone I know and also at the moment especially in the industries that myself and my boyfriend are in a lot of the employment is in London and we're in the situation where quite a few of the other nice cities like Bristol's not that far off being the same price as London now so then I might as well stay in London where my friends and family are. I do think it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world it just is very expensive so I've always said to people that if I wasn't from here, I'd probably be straight up north. <laughs> other than the cost of living in London, what are some of the other things that you see as potential drawbacks? So I think the pollution is one thing. I One feel for families that have grown up here for a long time and don't have the financial resources to be able to move away from areas that have become very polluted. And then on the other hand, it does baffle me slightly that some people will pay millions upon millions to live in a highly polluted 
area. We just recorded actually the WHO just recorded the first official death as a result of air pollution, which was a child living in London. And they basically argued that her asthma, et cetera, had been so exacerbated by the levels of air pollution that that is what ultimately killed her. I was visiting a friend in Essex with some friends and we were driving back into London and we were at the top of Big Hill and I was like, you can actually see the smog. <laughs> I was like, you can just see this like grey haze as you drive into London. So I think one is potentially dirty. Second is noise pollution. Again, depending on where you live, we live by a very busy road and you get used to the traffic, but I do get woken up like fairly regularly at six in the morning by all the traffic starting to build up. And I think it's one of those... I have friends that come from other places that say it is just kind of nonstop and hectic here. And I think part of that is what you grow up with. I'm very used to that. So in a sense, I find it quite weird when I go somewhere that's very quiet. But I can completely understand that if you come from a more peaceful area of life, suddenly having all the noise, all the dirt, all the hustle and bustle, we're all (laughs) kind of, you go where you're going, A to B. I'm not in a mood to stop to chat ever. I can understand how that's difficult to adjust to for some people. Do you find yourself taking advantage of the parks and some of the other open space in London as kind of a way to get away from all that? Yes and no. In lockdown, I took up running, which I think everyone took up running. Well, not, I'm not a fantastic runner. That was nice, but that was nice because it was empty. <laughs> so I could run down the high street and there would be like no people. The parks would be empty. As soon as they started to fill up, I hated running. I hated trying to like dodge around people on the pavements, having to wait for ages to cross the road. It was more stop and starting than it is running. So in terms of like an exercise basis, I'm not an outdoors exerciser. I've been slowly teaching myself to roller skate, but I will only go out in good weather. I'm much more a gym headphones in person. So I think for me, really, during the winter, the outside does not exist. I will like maybe force myself to go for a walk if it's in lockdown. I have Raynaud syndrome, so I lose all the circulation in my fingers and toes. So to be honest, I hate going outside in winter. In the summer, complete different story. Everything is, do you want to go for a beer in the park? <laughs> and that pretty much as soon as it's nice weather, I'm like, who wants to go for a beer in the park? Who wants to have some food in the park? We will want to go and eat dinner outside later. So I think for me, it's a, it's a game of two halves. We have a similar experience here in Chicago where the winter really makes us appreciate the warmer weather. And I think that there's just something about that change that just really brightens people's moods. Oh, for sure. I used to live by the sea and again the sea didn't really exist during the winter months because it's very cold it's a wind trap but the minute the sun comes out you're suddenly like I live by the sea and then every day after work it's like should we go to the beach do you want to sit on the beach for a bit do you want to go grab some donuts on the beach although I will say that we definitely do not have winters like Chicago has winters we are small fry on winters compared to where you are yeah, it's funny here because I think that we sort of take that as a badge of honor that we live through the winters and manage to survive it every year. I know I couldn't. I mean, we're British. We like to complain. So if you see how much I complain about the winter here, I just wouldn't even last through the Chicago winter. I'm not even going to try and pretend that I would. <laughs> so you have an Instagram that's focused a lot on food. How did you get interested in food and why did you decide to take that interest onto Instagram? So I've always liked food. I count myself quite lucky that I grew up in a household. I wouldn't necessarily say my family were foodies or anything, but I'm half Indian. So I had a lot of exposure to kind of Indian and Asian food. And also both my parents were, we were in the lucky position where they could put home cooked meals on the tables most evening. 
Um, so I got to try a lot of different flavors. So I wouldn't necessarily say that during school, I was like a particular lover of food, but I wasn't a fussy eater. I had exposure to a lot of palates. And then really it was when I went to university that I started to cook more because obviously you live by yourself. There are a lot of takeaways involved as well, but I did, <laughs> I did start to cook more. And then I went vegetarian, which was mostly for environmental reasons. That's pretty much what it is. I'm not theoretically opposed to eating animals for food. What I'm opposed to is the large scale animal industry. I think there's a huge difference between living in a fishing village and going out on a small boat and catching fish and eating them to there is buying factory farmed, mass produced meat and fish, which has a huge impact on our planet and also has terrible standards of animal welfare. I think they're two very different things. But everyone was surprised when I went vegetarian, including myself, because I actually really enjoyed meat and fish. I basically just said, I'm going to try it and see how it goes. And I made myself a last dinner of a chicken, ham and leek pie. It was delicious. We made it all ourselves, including the pastry. And then I just didn't eat meat again. So easier than I thought it was going to be. And then in terms of transitioning that onto Instagram, for me, really, it was the first lockdown. So I've always been Emotional eater maybe is not the right way to put it, but the way I consume and produce food is very much affected by my mood. So if I'm not in a good mood, I wouldn't cook much. I wouldn't eat very much. If I did eat, it would be kind of freezer food. And then if it was great, I was having a great summer, then suddenly I'm cooking and experimenting all the time. I find it really hard to be motivated to cook for myself because I'm like, I'm the only one who's going to be eating it. So it might as well be eggs on toast. Whereas I love cooking for a lot of people. So as we went into lockdown, I was a little bit like, it's just going to be me and my boyfriend for however many months. I'm not going to be cooking for people. I'm probably going to be quite depressed if I'm honest, because I'm going to be locked in my house on this island. So I thought maybe if I start posting stuff on Instagram, it will hopefully keep me excited about trying new food. I'll be motivated by wanting to post stuff. I'll see things that other people post and hopefully that will keep me engaged. And it really did work. Did you find yourself doing more cooking during lockdown? So much during the first lockdown. The second lockdown, none. So we had a first lockdown, God, from like March 2020. Then we lifted a lot of the restrictions in like July time, roughly. So in the summer. And then we had a second lockdown, a very short one from sort of October to mid-December 2020. And then we had a big one in 2021. So after we had the whole Boris cancels Christmas thing where he was like, we're going to do Christmas. And then we had the surprise tier four and all of that. And then we went into another kind of full lockdown. So we've had two big lockdowns and one sort of smallish one in the middle. So during the first one, I was cooking a lot. But I would say, again, I was in the lucky position where I was able to work from home. And it was also a very nice summer that year. So I was fortunate enough to be working from home. It was really light outside. It was great weather. We've got a small balcony in our flat or apartment, as I think you guys would call it. So we would eat outside a lot. So cooking so much more. When I transitioned to the winter lockdown, I had moved for work for a short period of time. So I was living by myself with no outdoor space and it was cold and dark all the time. So it pretty much transitioned to how many different things can I put on toast? I've noticed here that you focus a lot on local restaurants in your Instagram. Why do you think it's important to support those local restaurants? I think they're really a cornerstone of what makes a community a community. I think large chains, they do have their place. I occasionally love a Nando's, who doesn't? Um, and I think particularly sometimes for people on 
lower incomes, being able to get like a Pizza Express deal or a cheap Nando's meal is a lifesaver. But I also do think towns and communities will become soulless if we let them just become chains, because then no matter where you are, everywhere is the same. And actually what turns somewhere from just a place to live to community is having small independent businesses. And I do feel like in the age of the internet, it's harder and harder for small businesses to survive. There is some opportunity with things like Instagram and direct-to-consumer marketing, but also I think we've all become quite obsessed with like branding and aesthetics. I point it out to my boyfriend all the time because I see the subliminal bias in myself. But if I like walk down the road, I think I've started to assume that everywhere is going to be branded. You know, it's going to have like a Swish logo and a nice Instagram page. So sometimes I catch myself walking past smaller businesses. So like shops, restaurants, and things to myself, that looks like a bit of a shithole, quite frankly. But it's probably not. It's probably lovely. A lot of them are filled with local people. They're just not branded. They're just not these big posh chains. Um, and I really started to try and actively challenge some of that bias in myself and try and really support the people around us that are potentially putting everything they own on the line. I've always said I'm not brave enough to own my own business. Absolutely not. I like the fact that the risk is on someone else's shoulders. At the end of the day, I could lose my job, but losing my job for me is losing my job. Yes, okay, eventually I might not be able to pay my rent, etc. But losing a business is potentially losing your life savings, losing your pension, losing your children's university fund, all in one go. And I think anyone who takes on that risk is partially crazy, partially very brave. And I think we need, I wouldn't say more of them, but we need the people that are doing it to have the backing. Because lots of businesses out there are creating amazing food or amazing products. And in many respects, way better than what the chains are putting out. Long-winded answer, but... <laughs> One of the restaurants that I've noticed your support in particular is Sugarcane. Can you tell a little bit about the story of Sugarcane and why you have supported them so much? Yeah, of course. So um, Sugarcane London was started by Chef T. The restaurant itself is very close to where I live. So we went through a stage. I don't know if this is just limited to the UK. I feel like it was. But we went through a stage where we were only allowed to go out for a daily walk. That was it. One daily walk. So on my daily walk, I used to pass his restaurant which had been vacant for quite a while. And then just activity started happening. So it became like a bit of a game between me and my boyfriend to try and work out what was going on. It was our one kind of on our daily lockdown walk route, what new is happening in that building. And then we saw him one day, I might even have the picture. I saw him one day and there were just chairs and tables lined up on the pavement outside. And I was like, I think, I think this might be a restaurant. And he was stood outside. And obviously from a safe distance, we started chatting. And I used to see him there. He painted all the signs outside the restaurant by himself. He did the flooring himself. He obviously didn't do things like the electrics and the plumbing because, you know, you need a professional. But 90% of the restaurant, he built, painted, advertised himself. He would walk up and down, putting flyers in the houses. And we just got chatting so we were kind of at the stage where we were like weirdly friends before he'd even opened the restaurant and we had a running joke of I'm gonna have to move house if the food shit because I don't know what I'm gonna do if I go in try it and it's awful because I don't know how I'm going to excuse the fact that I'm never gonna come back but it's delicious I'm a pudding person I'm always that person who goes in and checks the pudding menu before I decide if I'm gonna order a starter or not my boyfriend's the other way around like starters all day even he will save room for the puddings here. 
the actual food's delicious, but I think I'm a vegetarian. So for a lot of people, the appeal of a Caribbean food place is going to be stuff like the jerk chicken and the, the curry goat, which I don't have. But those puddings, there is a Disserano bread and butter pudding. Is bread and butter pudding a thing in the US? Not really, no. Okay, so it's, I don't know if it's going to sound gross, but it's literally like white bread with like raisins, potentially chocolate, and then like milk will get poured over it and it'll get baked. And it just goes all like custardy and soft. And he puts Disserano in it, which is like liquor. And it's delicious. And you can have that with like a hot rum custard. Fantastic. It sounds very British and it is, but it is delicious. He does really good vegan cakes. He does vegan ice cream. So whilst I do go there for my plantain bites, and my jackfruit, I always go there for, for pudding. And he's just a fantastic person and exactly the kind of person that I think we need to hold up and support as a community. So he came from care himself. So he was in our care system after his mum passed away when he was a child. He supports young people in our community, two routes. He employs people who have also left care themselves. Uh, as in the UK, we don't have a very good support system for when people leave care. It's kind of you're 18, off you go. And also he employs people through the government's Kickstarter scheme, which is something they set up as a result of the pandemic to help young people that have found themselves not in work and are finding it difficult to get work as a result of the pandemic. And he trains the young people. So he gives them qualifications. They're called NVQs in the UK in kind of catering and training to be a barista, et cetera. And then they move on after a period of time with qualifications. And I think for an independent business to A, have good food, um, but B, to put that much good back into the community. I mean, it, it seems like a no-brainer to support it because otherwise you're just going to have an empty shop on the corner of the road. Do you think that the vegetarian and vegan restaurant scene is getting better in London nowadays, that there are more options? Yeah, we have a lot of vegetarian and vegan food. The only place probably that has more is Brighton in the UK, which is one of our seaside towns that has a lot of vegetarian and vegan options. I would say that London's always had one of the bigger vegetarian vegan scenes I'm going to Paris soon and even then we were kind of searching for vegetarian restaurants because they're not necessarily quite there or if they are there they're they're nice restaurants which maybe my budget doesn't quite stretch to but even though there used to be quite a lot of availability of vegetarian food the variety has hugely changed so you used to get the same few menu options most people would have a vegetarian option but it'd be like a goat cheese and red onion tartlet maybe like a butternut squash curry like maybe a veggie burger but it would always be like a mushroom in a bun (laughs) so although they would technically have stuff you can eat none of it would be exciting and I think we're starting to get a regular restaurants doing some really exciting vegetarian and vegan options but also some really exciting vegetarian and vegan led restaurants and I love going because I go and it's not just having two things on the menu to choose from it's a whole menu I love that experience too, as someone who's vegan. And I love that there are restaurants now that really attract a lot of people who aren't vegan and vegetarian because the food is just that good. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's a mark when I can take non-vegetarian friends and family there and, and they can enjoy it. I mean, I think I'm in the lucky position where I wouldn't say I have any friends or family that are hugely opposed to vegetarian food. No one's ever complained when I've cooked for them because I really love cooking and entertaining. But I still think there's a difference that if you are a meat or fish eater, most of the time when you go to a restaurant, you will order meat or fish, particularly if it's something like a steak that you don't often cook for yourself. So actually, I think if you can go to a restaurant where you would usually maybe have a steak or a treat item 
and have something vegetarian or vegan and really enjoy it. That's almost different to me cooking you vegan chicken and rice for dinner. That's a kind of experience. So again, it's really nice to be able to take friends and family to restaurants where there's veggie and vegan options, have them try them and have them come away as excited with the meal as I am. In closing, are there any other restaurants other than Sugarcane that you would particularly recommend for people to try? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, so Bubala in Shoreditch, fantastic. Some of the most delicious food I've ever had. They have two menus. So one is a fully vegetarian menu. One is a vegan menu. It's cheap. It's like £30-ish for the full kind of tasting menu. Sign of a good restaurant. We wanted more bread to mop up the sauce. We got more bread. Always noted. So that place is great. Obviously, Sugarcane London, but we all know that. There is a place in Brighton. So it's not quite London, but it's about an hour away. This one is a splurge. So it is a special meal, but it's called Etch. And it is to date the best meal I think I've ever had. It's more of a fine dining type place, but substantial. You leave full. The vegetarian tasting menu was exceptional. And my dad had the meat menu. And the thing that was really nice was you could tell that just as much thought had been put into the vegetarian options as had the meat and fish options. And I sometimes find with some of the really kind of posh restaurants that actually there's a massive bias that real cooking is about cooking big slabs of meat or really impressive bits of fish. So almost you can feel like more of an afterthought than going to a sort of friendly neighbourhood restaurant. So I really love that. There's Lissome in Dalston which is also East London, which is L-I-S-S-O-M-E. Nandine in Camberwell is delicious. And I think, I can't not mention Boomer in Brixton, which is an Indian place. And that is absolutely fantastic. But if you go onto my Instagram page, a little bit of a plug, I post a lot about restaurants because since the pandemic, I've maybe been eating out more than I should, but I'm signaling that as me rejigging the economy so it's a patriotic act as far as I'm concerned and not me blowing my monthly budget on dinners out rather than dinners in (laughs) I totally agree well thank you for taking time to talk today it was a pleasure talking with you it's a pleasure talking with you too you're very like natural interviewer so thank you I'm not used to doing sort of podcasts and things like this